Well, I just got back from the wedding, and it was beautiful. Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> just ask them, somebody or Google it. Uh, this weekend, we're going to look at probably one of the darkest psalms that is, that is written. And uh, what I want to do is I want to do something a little different. It's Psalm 88. Now, you can turn there in your Bibles, but here's what I want you to do. I'm going to read this from the message uh, paraphrase. It's a different uh, paraphrase, and uh, I think you get more of a feel for what the psalmist is going through. And what I want you to do is I don't really want you to, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but <laughs> what, I'd, what I'd love you to do is just listen to the psalm and think about it and try to put yourself in the place of the psalmist as I read it, okay? I'm going to read the message version. It's going to differ quite a bit from the NIV or whatever translation you're using. But just sit back and listen while I read it. Um, this is just take a few minutes, but uh, I think it'll be well worth our time. Psalm 88. God, you're my last chance of the day. I spend the night on my knees before you. Put me on your salvation agenda. Take notes in the trouble I'm in. I've had my fill of trouble. I've camped on the edge of hell. I, I, I'm written off as a lost cause. One more sadistic, or excuse me, one more statistic, a hopeless case. Abandoned as already dead. One more body in a stack of corpses. And not so much as a gravestone. I'm a black hole in oblivion. You've dropped me into the bottomless, bottomless pit. Sunk me into a pitch black abyss. I'm battered senseless, senseless by your rage. Relentlessly pounded by your waves of anger. You turned my friends against me. Made me horrible to them. I'm caught in a maze and I can't find my way out. Blinded by tears of pain and frustration. I call to you, God, all day long. I call. I wring my hands. I plead for help. And the dead, a live concert for your miracles. At, are the dead a, a live concert for your miracles? Do ghosts ever join the choirs that praise you? D does your love make any difference in the graveyard? Is your faithful presence noticed in the corridors of hell? Are, you mar are your marvelous wonders ever seen in the dark? Your righteous ways noticed in the land of no memory? I'm standing my ground, God, shouting for help at the prayers at my prayers every morning, on my knees each daybreak. Why, God, do you turn a deaf ear? Why do you make yourself scarce? For as long as I remember, I've been hurting. I've taken the worst that you can hand out, and I've had it. Your wildfire anger has blazed through my life. I'm bleeding black and blue. You've attacked me fiercely from every side, raining down blows till I'm nearly dead. You've made a lover and neighbor alike dump me. The only friend I have left is darkness. I told you it was a dark psalm. Probably one of the darkest written. <clears throat> so you could have a couple of different reactions to this as you heard it, as you read through it. Wow, that's really dark. 
I've been there. I've experienced it. I understand what, what the psalmist is talking about. Uh, maybe another reaction you'd have is, <clears throat> I'm surprised somebody would feel free enough that they could talk to God like that. Uh, one of the things that I love about the Bible is that it tells the story, it tells, it expresses emotions, it doesn't pull punches, it doesn't soften the edges oftentimes. It shows the characters with all their flaws, with all their, their, their problems, with all their issues. Um, in fact, it's interesting, it, sometimes when you read the New Testament, you know, one of the things we talk about, the Pharisees and the scribes and the Pharisees, right, the scribes. Well, what were scribes? Scribes were people who, who copied documents, and sometimes they would be sitting there copying the documents, and one person would verbally be reading, reading the document, and they would write the copy of the document, what they heard. And so sometimes when they were writing the documents, especially, you know, you see this in the New Testament, especially when you're looking at some of the older texts, you'll see that they, they see something and they go, oh boy, that's harsh, that's difficult. So what they do is they change it, they soften it a little bit. And so that's why we do you know, textual criticism. We say, well, did the scribe change this word because it was a little bit you know, a little bit edgier, it, it kind of, you know, and, and, and to soften the text. So you see that sometimes in the text. But you know what I love about the Bible? The Bible doesn't pull any punch. It, just, it is what it is, and it says what it says. Uh, so you may, you may say, um, that's dark, but I've been there. Maybe you say, I'm surprised that somebody would use that language of God, that tone with God. Uh, maybe you're the third person, you're very shallow, and you might have thought, you know what, I, I don't want to invite a guy like that to my next barbecue, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, because if we're having a good time, this guy's not going to help, right? Um, there are a couple of lessons we can learn from this psalm, and that's really what we want to do the rest of our time. We want to say, okay, what is it that we can learn from this psalm that seems very, very dark, very, very dark? And, and the idea that we want to look at is, when you feel hopeless, you feel like life is hopeless, because that's clearly what this, this uh, psalmist is saying. What do you do? What do you do when you, you feel like hope, life is hopeless? Well, here's the first thing. Number one, uh, dark times can last for a long time, even for a believer. And, and uh, notice, uh, this is a quote from uh, Martin Marty. He's a professor of theology at the University of Chicago, and here's what he says. And he's talking about this psalm. Here's what he says. Whoever tries to devise from Scripture a philosophy of life in which everything always turns out right, in the end will have to begin by tearing this page right out of the Bible. In other words, what he says is, you know, if you want a nice Bible, a pretty Bible, a Bible that says, hey, everything is puppy dog tails and, and kitty cats, and, and tear this page out because it won't work. And he's right. And, and here's what it is. We often carry with us an expectation of the way life ought to be, right? Uh, we, we feel that life should be fair, that, that trouble should only happen to bad people. Um, but here's what we find. It, 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 here, here's what we, dis, we discover. That we find trouble, and many times it's not because we did anything wrong. And uh, we wonder if God really loves us. We wonder... Why God could allow this to happen to me? Why could he allow this to happen in my life? If he's all-powerful and he's all-loving, then why did he allow this to happen in my life? 
But you know, you think about it, and you say, but I'm a good guy. <laughs> I understand it happened to the bad guys. They deserve that. But I'm a good guy. I'm not a bad guy. You know, I remember another good guy. His name was Jesus. And it didn't turn out well for him, did it, in the, in the, very, in the end. He was very good. But uh, you've you got you to wonder, well, what makes you think you're above him? In fact, Jesus said, if you're one of my followers, if I suffer, don't you think that's probably going to happen to you? In other words, adjust your expectations. But the psalm is showing us something uh, that, we shouldn't, uh, we, that we shouldn't expect life to be good and fair. Um, we should thank the Lord every day. And, and I think that's one of the things is we should wake up every day thanking the Lord for the things we so often take for granted, right? Most of us have shelter. Most of us have full stomachs. Most of us have a place to sleep tonight. Most of us have clothing. Most of us have reasonably good health. You know, every day we ought to wake up and we ought to thank the Lord that we have a heartbeat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> okay. Thank you. You know, no. <laughs> so, right. And, and, but, but, but do we ever, you know, and, you, you can't sit around thanking the Lord for every heartbeat, but, but we take it for granted, don't we? Till it stops or till it's, there's a pep, uh, you know, something wrong with our heartbeat. Um, what I'm saying is that one of the things we need to do in life is to adjust our expectations. So let me, let me give you a kind of an illustration. Let's just say that tonight, you're going to a five-star restaurant. And you've heard about it. You've read the reviews. You're very excited. And you, it takes months to get a reservation. You go in, and you're greeted at the door. Your name's on there. You've got reservation. It's, it's a little pricey, but you're not going to do this every week. But you're going to do it once because everybody talks about it. So you go in. The outside of the restaurant is spectacular. You walk in. You're greeted by uh, the maitre d'. You're, you're, you're led to your beautiful table. The table is a beautiful setting. And uh, you're waited on hand and foot. It's just elegant. It's beautiful. It's, it's awfully nice. You, uh, you, you uh, can't wait to try the food because you, you, you just have such high expectations. And they bring a, a plate of food, and it looks spectacular. It looks great. And you just can't wait. You take that first bite. You put your fork in, and you bring it to your mouth, and you taste it. And you're, it's so bad, you want to spit it out. And you go, this is awful. And, you, and, and, and you're with people and, you go, and they go, this is awful, right? Yeah, this is bad. This is really bad. This is awful. Can we leave? I mean, do we still have to pay for it? This is awful. What were people talking about, right? What, so, so that's one picture, okay? Now let me give you another one. Scenario number two. You're invited over to somebody's house. They're not rich, they're not well off, but they're nice. And they invite you over, and you come to their house. And it's kind of a not really well kept up. It's an older house, and it's parts of it are falling off. And you knock on the door, and they greet you, and they're really nice people. And they, you, you come into the house, and it's, it's clean, but it's not nice, you know. And you sit down, and, and they're having kind of the meal, and you're sitting around the table, and... Um, they, they put the china down, and the china doesn't match. And, and, and the silverware doesn't match. And they bring out this big pot of whatever. You don't know what it is, right? And, and, and they spoon it onto your plate, and, and you get it, and you're kind of afraid to take a bite. And you take a fork, and you kind of 
put it to your lips and you take a bite and you say, oh, that's one of the best things I've ever tasted in my life. It's unbelievable. What was the difference there? Your expectations were different, weren't they? Right off the bat, your expectations were different. And if you go into life, into this five-star restaurant with this idea that everything's going to be just top of the world, you're going to be disappointed. But when you have lower expectations, realistic expectations, then you can approach the world in a different way. See, too often, we, get, um, we raise our expectations to such a level that there's no way they will ever be satisfied. But if you approach life thinking it should be fair, thinking it should be fulfilling and kind to you, you're setting yourself up for a, a beatdown of hurt, and it's going to come. Here's the point I want you to see. If you believe this life is fair and good all the time, when you encounter trials, troubles, and tribulations, your world's going to be rocked. But if you know that we live in a fallen world where there is trouble, where there is pain, where there are trials and tribulations, you appreciate the good times more, and you manage the, the bad times better. You thank the Lord that you woke up and you have a pulse. You thank the Lord that he's provided for your food, shelter, clothing, and, and, and clean water and things like that. It, 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 a lot of life is just adjusting your perspective, really, what it comes down to. So that's the first thing. Second thing is dark times can be times of growing in God's grace if you'll let them. The, the hard part of the Christian life is that these are the dark times where our faith can grow. And, and we have to understand that. Look at what the psalmist says in, in verses 10 and 12 in uh, chapter 88. He says this, Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do, you, do, do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the places of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of, of, of oblivion? And what he's doing, he's almost cross, cross-examinating uh, God. He's, 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 he's saying, God, is this... And, you know, the answer is, no, they don't. No, 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 they don't. And his point is, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, and, and, and don't we do that sometimes? We go through trials and we go... God, I'm so mad at you. I'm so upset with you. I'm so disgusted with you. You know, how dare you do this to me, you know? And, and instead of saying, this is hard, this is difficult, but it's an opportunity for me to grow. James kind of says that. And, and here's what James says. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, he says, and this is so totally opposite of how we approach life. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you... When you uh, face trials of many kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I just want to say to you that in the last week or the last month, you have had opportunities to have your faith, you've had your faith tested, and they were opportunities for your faith to grow, and you either allowed that, that testing, that trial, that tribulation, you either allowed that to be a time of growth or you just let it go and you complained and you whined and you, you shouted at God 
and it was just an awful time for you, and there was really no redeeming value at all. You know, any coach, any trainer, any person who knows they're going to go, they're going to become the best or better in what they're trying to do, they know they have to go through difficult times. They have to run the hills. They have to run the lines. They have to practice for hours and hours and hours. If you're going to get better, you have to go through those hard times. And so what I'm saying is this, that dark times can produce a new depth to your faith. We have a deeper fortitude, a grace, an unflappable faith. We become people who serve God for God's sake. Our soul becomes stronger, and it's not so easily dominated by life. Faith, when you have a trial or tribulation, it is a moment, an opportunity for you to say, am I going to step up and grow, or am I going to whine about it and moan about it, cry about it? Again, I'm not making light of the trials and tribulations that we all go through. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, and what James is saying is, these are opportunities for you to forge your faith. They really are. Here's the third thing. Dark times can quickly reveal why we serve God. You know, we talked a little bit about this in this series because it comes up quite often. Um, The book of Job is really Satan challenging God. And he's basically saying to God, you know what, here's the deal. Um, He uses a phrase, and the phrase is this, does does Job serve God for nothing? Does, Does Job, so Satan is asking God. Because God says, have you considered my servant Job? And, and, and so Satan says, does Job serve God for nothing? And what does he mean by that? What he means by that is this. Satan is convinced that the only reason that Job serves him is because God takes care of him. God provides for him. God is his sugar daddy. In other words, that, 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 and, and you'll see as, as, as it goes on, basically Satan's puts this before God, that if, if you take away this, this care where you watch over him and you provide for him and you protect him, if you take that away, he will curse you the moment you do that. He will curse you because here's the thing. He's only serving you because you're giving him stuff. But if you take it away and you don't give it to him, he will curse you. That's, that's the wager that's going on here. And, and the, the same thing is he says to us. Look at your devoted followers. They're not really serving you. They're serving you because it pays. They say, okay, I'm serving God. I'm serving my neighbor. I'm serving the poor. But they're only serving God, serving their neighbors because they expect to pay off. So they really are serving themselves. You know, trials and tribulations, there are opportunities for you to say, why do I do this? In other words, Satan is daring God to plunge Job into darkness. Don't answer his prayers for a long time. Don't give him any sense of your presence. Take away all of his earthly comforts. Set things up so serving you and praying uh, to you pays him absolutely nothing. No benefits at all. And you'll see him curse you. That's the wager he's making. If you pull away from him, if you pull all your protective hand and hand a blessing, he will curse you. That's the wager. So here's the question. Why are you here? Why do you give? Why do you serve? What's in it for you? You see, there's a lot of people that the minute life gets hard, especially when they're Christians, 
when life gets hard and things don't, their prayers aren't answered and things don't go well for them, they basically say, I'm done with God, I'm over. And what that just says is your relationship is based upon what you get from God. Think about that. How, do, how would that be in, in the human realm if, if your relationships were that way? I'll be with you as long as you do this or this or this. Um, I hope as a parent you don't do that with your kids, right? I hope you don't say, you know, I'll be a good parent to you and I'll love you as long as you do this, these, you know, these things. But the minute you stop doing that, you know, we're done. We're done, right? So the question is this. In those dark times when God is silent, our motives are revealed. In those situations, we see whether we are in it for ourselves or to serve our maker. God uses those circumstances to check our relationship with him. So the question is, are you there? Are you in a relationship with God to serve him? Or are you in the relationship to get from God and get him to serve you? These trials, these dark times will quickly reveal that. When you start calling out to God and say, God, you're not keeping up your end of the bargain. I've been doing my part, but you're not doing yours. Immediately what's being revealed is you're in it for what you can get. You're not in it for him. Satan's uh, thing against Job was this. The minute you take your protective hand away, the minute you take your hand of blessing away, he's going to curse you. Well, we know he didn't. It's basically Job says, and it's a, a powerful part of the book where Job says, though he slay me. Yet I will trust him. Though he slay me, I will trust him. All right, here's the fourth thing. Dark times will separate the sheep from the goats. Now, the author of this psalm uh, is, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but it's Heman. Um, And he was, uh, he's probably exaggerating, you know. Have you ever had your kids, you know, like, they're, they're having a bad day, and they, it's awful. It's the worst thing in the world. I think I want to die. You know, I mean, just, they get, kind of go off, and you go, okay, you need a little time out. Maybe you need a little bite to eat. Maybe you need to go to bed and wake up tomorrow and, you know, have a different day. But see, he, he, look at, he's yelling at God. He's complaining about his life. He's bitter. He's despondent with God. But everything he does in this psalm is really a prayer. It's a pretty pretty harsh prayer, but it's a prayer. You see, even though his life has become impossible, there's something you missed in this psalm, and it was the first verse. We'll read it in a minute. Even though everything, and this is such a dark psalm, the one thing you've, you may have missed in this whole psalm is he's still with God. He hasn't given up on God. Look at, look at what he says in, in, in verse 1 of Psalm 88. He says, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. So he's, his first phrase is, even though my life is horrible, even though my enemies or my friends become, have become my enemies, even though I feel like your hand is heavy upon me, even though my prayers seem like they're going about two inches above my lips and then dropping to the ground, even though I don't feel your presence or your blessing, even though nothing is going right in my life and it seems like it hasn't been going in my life for a long, long time, I'm still with you. You are my God. He hasn't given up on God. He's staying with God even though he's getting nothing out of it. And maybe your prayers are just as bad as his. 
Maybe there are times when all you do is say to God, God, I don't like you, I don't understand you, I'm angry with you, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm going to pray and I'm going to serve and I'm, I'm going to obey as best as I can because you're God and I'm not. I don't understand it, I don't like it, but I haven't given up on it. That's a faith that's being forged. That's a depth of faith. That separates the sheep and the goats. That separates the men from the boys. That, that determines whether you truly have faith in God or, or God has just become this cosmic vending machine for you. And notice what God says to us. I'm still your God in spite of the way you talk to me. God says to us, and this, these are other parts of Scripture, I am your God not because you put on a happy face every day, Not because you say everything just right. Not because you speak reverently to me. I'm I'm your God because I'm a God of grace and mercy. In spite of all the things you do wrong, I'm still your God. He sticks with us. Even when we talk with him like this. There's one other lesson. And let's close with that. Dark times have been overcome by the light of the world. So, Heman felt like the darkness had... His last line is really spooky. I mean, when you, when you read the last phrase that he has in this psalm, he says this, Darkness is my closest friend. Have you been there? Have you experienced that? Where you just say, darkness seems to be my closest friend. I don't have any human friends in... When I look to God, it just seems like heaven is silent, heaven is far away. Darkness seems to be, darkness is my, my closest friend. It sounds familiar to somebody that I remember. Let me read you a passage from Matthew. Matthew twenty-seven forty-five. Jesus is hanging on the cross. And it says in verse 45, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lambda sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he jumped down to verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. You see, Jesus got the ultimate darkness that Heman thought he was getting. Jesus got total darkness. He got real wrath. He was absolutely and utterly abandoned. Why? Wasn't he perfect? Wasn't he sinless? Wasn't he? Yeah. Jesus got the darkness we deserve so that we could get forgiveness. We are self-centered. We exploit one another. Yet God still forgives us. How does he do that? Why does he do it? Why, Why does he do it? The Bible says we're all sinners. We all fall short. The Bible says that our heart is desperately wicked. How does he do it? Why does he do it? Because Jesus paid the debt going into the darkness by facing the ultimate wrath by being abandoned. 
So Jesus, no matter how dark your life feels, understand that Jesus experienced complete darkness. Remember in the garden? It says that he was so stressed that his, his sweat began, looked or appeared to be like drops of blood. I don't know what's going on there. All I know is that he was tormented. He was stressed. He was absolutely beside himself. And then, that was before he was even nailed to a cross. That was before he was raised up between two criminals that were, that were chiding him. That was before the Roman soldiers put the spikes through his, his hands and his feet. That was before he had gotten whipped and lashed. That was before he got a crown of thorns. That was before uh, he, everybody around him was jeering him. That was before his disciples took off and, and ran away. And, and he's alone. His best friends, his 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 compadres, the people that he spent three years pouring his life to, are gone now. And he looks down, and the only people that he sees at the base of the cross is his mother and a few of her friends, and they have no idea what's going on. And he looks for the Father. And he cries out, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You want to talk about darkness? There's darkness. There's darkness. Here's the point I want you to see. If Jesus Christ didn't abandon you in his darkest hour, in his ultimate darkness, why in the world would he abandon you today when you're going through those dark times? If, if he ever could have abandoned if he ever could have walked away, if he ever could have said, no, it's too much, I'm not going to do it. If he ever could have done it, it was 2,000 years ago where he could have said, no, I'm done. But what did he say in the garden? He says, not my will, but yours be done. And he climbed up on a cross and he, 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 he experienced the utter darkness for you and for me. And so if you're going through darkness right now, understand this, that if he didn't abandon you 2,000 years ago, he won't abandon you today or tomorrow or next week. And he hasn't abandoned you in the past. You see, here's the point. Dark times can and will happen to a believer. It doesn't mean you're lost. Dark times happen to those who don't deserve it. Remember, it happened to Jesus. Dark times can happen without you knowing why. There are answers, but we may never know why. Job never found out why. So the psalmist has really hard, hard language to God. I don't understand this. I don't like this. People are abandoning me. You seem to have abandoned me. And, you know, can the dead praise you? <laughs> you know, he goes on and on and on. It's like, it's like, you know, give me an answer. Give me an answer. Give me an answer. But what he says in verse 1 is telling. But you're still my God. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But you're still my God. You're still my God. So I don't know where you're at this weekend. I don't know where, what's going on in your life. I don't know what darkness you're experiencing. But if you feel like you're in your darkness alone, you're not. If you feel like no one has ever felt the darkness you feel, you're wrong. Because there is somebody who has never abandoned you and never will abandon you. There is someone beside you who basically says, um, I have gone through the darkness so that you don't have to. I have provided a way out. I have provided a hope. There, there's a hope beyond the darkness. 
And, and if I didn't abandon you 2,000 year years ago, I am never going to abandon you now. I am with you. And that's why uh, I love the psalm, and I think it's a psalm more for the living than for the dead, Psalm 23. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, and your rod and your staff comfort me. So look for Jesus in the darkness. He not only is there with you in the darkness. Uh, and, and by the way, we know this. The writer of the psalm didn't have all the revelation, all the information we have. We didn't have the Gospels. He didn't have the Acts. He didn't have the teachings of Paul. He didn't have the resurrection. He didn't have any of that. We have all of that. And we know now. We know a lot more than him. And so when we have those dark times, understand that Jesus says, I will be with you in the darkness. And I understand what real darkness is. I experienced it. And I understand it. And I won't leave you alone in your time of need. I'll be right there in the midst of the darkness with you. Would you stand with me and let me pray? Our Father, we thank you for this. <laughs> it is a dark, it's an awful, it's a in-your-face psalm. We thank you that it is real gritty, but it's real. We also thank you that it tells us that you understand and, we, and you get us when we talk to you like this. But most of all, we thank you that your son Jesus Christ came and faced the darkness and conquered it for us. He got the darkness and the destruction we deserved. He entered into this darkness to rescue us. And he didn't waver an inch. We ask that you would change our lives through your Holy Spirit, through your word, so that we can follow you when darks, dark times come into our lives. We want to grow through these dark times. We want to be more like Jesus who served us by giving his life for us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.